Pastor Xavier Reese and the distinguishing character of the righteous. That man, that woman walking with God, come what may, they trust the Lord. Yes, there will be sad times. Yes, there will be difficult times, but they abide. They're not shaken with the wind. They're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but they are founded on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. They're not chasing the Holy Spirit from tent meeting to tent meeting, from church to church. They're solid with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Jesus spoke about distinguishing between outward behaviors and inward attitudes in a conversation recalled in the Gospel of Mark when He said, These people honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. And that's a simple truth measured by David as well in a challenge to godly living with Psalm 15. And coming up, Pastor Xavier discusses the varied themes of the godless, the righteous, and the faithful by continuing his verse-by-verse series on the Psalms. Let's listen. In Psalm 14, to the chief musician, another Psalm of David, here we get the picture of the godless who deny God. This Psalm is identical to Psalm 53, except um, the word Elohim, God is used, rather than Jehovah. And that's basically the only difference. Verses 1 and 2, we see their character. Verses 3 through 5, we see their conduct. And verse 7, we see their end. He says, The fool has said in his heart, No God. There is, is italics. That means it's not in the original. He simply says, The fool has said in his heart, No God. I mean, he's come to the conclusion that there's no God. He's never bumped into any God. He's never seen Him. He's never heard of Him. So he says there's no God. How clever man is. He can explain God away. We look to our science today and we look to the theory of evolution. We look to some of our brilliant men of science who have the nerve to say that we evolved. What do they say? They say what this man said. No God. And yet, as you look to the universe, as you look to the world, as you look to your own body, as you look to just the basic elements of a seed and how it sprouts and and the beauty and all that, how can you say you evolved? I would like to know how did the transitional forms survive while they adapted? That fish that looks up through the water and sees a bug up there and, and he has to make adjustments of the refraction of the water and the light and... Uh, how many times did he have to practice before he could shoot that bug down and he didn't starve to death? Who uh, put it in that little bird that flies all the way up to Alaska and then, you know, lays his eggs there and then boogies on down to Hawaii and then he has the nerve to leave the eggs up there and the babies have never been to Hawaii and then weeks afterwards they take off and they encounter winds of hundreds of miles an hour that blow them off course and they only weigh a couple of ounces and those guys land on Hawaii every time. Now next time you call someone a bird brain, it's a compliment. Remember that. It's not an insult because you and I need a jet to get there. And so whenever man comes to the conclusion there's no God, you know, it's just silly. God has given creation as an evidence, Romans says. Conscience as an evidence. History as an evidence. 
That's all general revelation. But general revelation is not enough to save you. You need special revelation. You need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for you, He rose from the dead, and He can forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life. That is special revelation. You need that to be saved. But you are not without any excuse because from creation, you are without excuse. I mean, this thing didn't just explode and land here, even though the scientists tell us that's one possibility. <laughs> There's no way. And so here's the atheist who says there is no God. He says they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Not one. None at all. So here it depicts man's depravity. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. And what does he find? Not one. No, not one. Paul the Apostle quotes verses 2 and 3 in Romans 3, 10 and 12. No one seeks after God. Whenever you see a person declaring that they seek after God, they are liars. Now you will find religious people, but they're not seeking after God. Because those who worship God must worship Him and seek Him in spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And whenever men and women seek God on religious and philosophical uh, avenues, they are not seeking God. They're seeking their own glory. And so there is none that understands, none who seek God. Verse 3 says, They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. There is a double negative again. No, not one. And so here's the depravity of man. In himself, he is not good. He is evil. God's testimony was from Genesis on to the end of Revelation. Man is evil. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? And so verse 4 here says that all have a basic knowledge of right and wrong. Don't they have knowledge? Yes, there's a basic knowledge of right and wrong. God has given us conscience. But if we callous that conscience long enough, then it gets all distorted. Then we are amazed what we can give ourselves over to. What we thought was wrong at one time, now we think, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. You remember when you first started growing up and you said, well, that's right, that's wrong. And then you got into your teens and into your, your upper years and said, well, that's not wrong. Everybody's doing it. What happened? You shaped your conscience to the level of society, the people you hung around with. And so you need the Word and the Holy Spirit. Your conscience is not enough. Verse 5, he says there, they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is His refuge. I mean, they, all they have to depend is on God. You stop and think about poor people. They don't have money for a lawyer. They don't have money for anything. Who do they depend on? On the Lord. You want to read how God feels about the poor, read the Gospel of Luke. He has much to say about the poor. I mean, God just looks out for them. And it's no surprise that many poor come to the Lord. Because you know what? They don't have anything to keep them from the Lord. Nothing at all. They're just open to what God has. And you know what? They know that it's God who is working on their behalf. There's no doubt. And they trust in God completely. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of His people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And so, 
we see that God at the end will deliver his people. God will intervene. God will bring victory. Psalm 15, another Psalm of David. Here it describes the characteristics of those who can dwell in Zion. Uh, it's a Psalm of David. It's the first liturgical Psalm associated with public worship. Some have associated with the kingdom age of those who will be allowed to enter into the kingdom. You remember in Matthew 25, the first thing that Jesus is going to do when, when he returns is to have the judgment of the nations, the sheep and the goat. Don't let anybody tell you that's your judgment. I heard a guy on the radio the other day in one of these social movements laying a big guilt trip on people with Matthew 25. You know, and when you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. But the context of that is the judgment of the nations towards Israel. That's not for the believer. We go to the Bema Seat of Christ. And so after Jesus judges, he'll separate the sheep from the goat, and he will allow those on his right hand, the sheep, to enter into the kingdom, to populate the kingdom. Those on his left, the goats, he will say, Depart from me, you wicked, into everlasting darkness. And so here we have the characteristics of those who will be allowed in the kingdom. And maybe, very possibly, as some have thought, this is the kingdom psalm for that. Verse 1 and 2, we get the positive. Verses 3 through 5, we get the negative. He says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? And so there's the question. Who may dwell in your holy hill? The word abide is a word sojourn. It implies hospitality. Where you come in and, and, and there's hospitality and you feel comfortable. The word to dwell has the idea of, of, of feeling at home. And so who is the person who feels comfortable as he fellowships with you in your tabernacle, Lord? Who is the one? And he answers in verse 2. He who walks uprightly, complete, without blemish. He's not talking about perfection, but that person who is constantly keeping his life right with God. That's what he's talking about. And he who works righteousness, outward action, that is straight. The word righteous literally means straight, according to God's word. That one who is lining himself up with the precepts of God. Thirdly, he who speaks the truth in his heart, sincerely, honestly, not a double heart, but one who speaks the truth and who is open to God to search his heart. Even as David says, Lord, search me. And see if there be any wicked way within me. Always open because we know our own depravity. And we know that we are open to anything if we're not careful and stay close to the word of God. In verse 3, he says, he who does not backbite. Now he gives it in the negative. Backbiting, the tongue, mark of carnality, vicious, poison uh, cobra is literally the word in Romans. An asp under his lips nor does evil to his neighbor. In other words, he doesn't plot against his neighbor. He doesn't try to bring anything that's of, of, uh, wrong to him. He, does, he tries to do him good all days. Nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. He's true. He's sincere. He's a friend to the end. Notice he says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. The implication is his friend is a Christian. And therefore, he honors him. 
Even if he's despised in somebody's eyes, he doesn't backbite him. He doesn't talk about him. He doesn't go behind his back. But he honors him. He who swears to his own herd and does not change. In other words, you give your word, then keep it. Don't make a vow and then you say, oh, well, you know, that's not too convenient. Maybe I better say, oh, I can't do it. He says, hey, you do it. If you say it, then keep it. A man of his word. He who does not put out his money at usury, a high interest to rip people off. Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. In the law, there is much said about the judges and the prophets. They were not to take bribes because the bribe blinds the judge, he says. And someone gives you something, you feel like you are indebted to them. And when the time comes, they'll say, hi, remember me? And that's why I'm very careful in the ministry about people, whatever they want to do for me. I'm very, very careful. Because I don't want to feel indebted to anybody. I always have to be careful to be sensitive because some people just want to spend some time or whatever. It's, it's difficult. But you never know uh, people's um, uh, motive. And uh, you have to be careful. If you're in a position of, of authority, of responsibility, be careful. Be discreet. Because uh, people are not always sincere and uh, have the greatest or the best of motives. He finishes off, he says, He who does these things shall never be moved. And so that man, that woman who has these characteristics, then they are walking with God. And come what may, they hang on to the Lord. They trust the Lord. They abide. And they go through the heavy times and they rejoice in God. Yes, there will be sad times. Yes, there will be difficult times. But they abide. They're not moved. They're not shaken with the wind. They're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But they are founded on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. They're not chasing the Holy Spirit from tent meeting to tent meeting, from church to church. They are committed somewhere. They know where they're going. They know what they're doing. They're solid. That's the person that's described here who will abide with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Now, Psalm 16. It's another Psalm of David. It's called Mishtam, which means gold. Psalm 56 to Psalm 60 equally bear the same title. We are not sure why uh, they are labeled gold. Some believe maybe because of the beauty of their um, structure. We're not sure. But in Psalm 16, we get the cry here for preservation under God's goodness. Under his uh, provisions. Verses 1 through 4, we see the prayer. Verses 5 through 8, we see the praise. Verses 9 through 11, we see the perspective of the psalmist. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. And to the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. And so you have the psalmist declaring his confidence and recognition that all that is good in his life is due to God, not to himself. And then he contrasts that with the sorrows of the ungodly. And he makes reference in verse 4 about drinking blood. Now, 
The Jehovah Witnesses pervert the scripture out of context in Leviticus and Deuteronomy where it says that we are not to drink blood. And they interpret that to mean blood transfusions. And therefore, hundreds upon thousands die all the time because they refuse blood transfusions. But this is the context of that command. The heathens would sacrifice to their gods and then they would drink the blood of that sacrifice as a uh, leviathan, uh, a libation offering, which they would drink, it's called. And God says, don't do it. It's pagan. Not only that, it could be unhealthy. You don't know if the animal is diseased. And so this is the proper interpretation of that command in the law. And yet people will twist the scriptures, take them out of context. This is what he's talking about. The sacrifice of, to idols. Now in verse 5, he says, You, O Lord, and when you see the word in all capital letters, Lord, that's the word Yahweh. When you see it, capital L, small o, R, and D, that's the word Adonai, which means master, equivalent to the word kurios in the New Testament Lord. He says, you, O Lord, are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Not only do you give me that inheritance, but you maintain it. You are responsible for everything. Peter tells us that we have a, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven that does not fade away. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And so we are not to store up riches here on earth. That doesn't mean that you can't have a house, a car, or clothes, but just make sure you're not living for them. Don't put all your eggs in one basket here in the world. It's all going to go up in smoke. If you're a materialist, I feel sorry for you because you're going to lose everything. And yet if God allows you to be prosperous to an extent, then God has made you a steward of what He gives to you and He will hold you responsible of how you use it and how you abuse it. And he will hold me responsible. We're to use things and live for people. Tragically, we live for things and use people. And we've got it backwards. And so we're stewards. All that we have, God gives to us. He's the one that gives us our inheritance. In verse 6, he says, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, his borders. Yes, I have good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. And so he praises and thanks God for his provisions, for his inheritance, but also for his counsel as he sits there at night in bed. He can't sleep or he's seeking the Lord. And God speaks to him. And he comforts him and he instructs him. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory or my soul rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. From verse 8 on down, you have this quoted by Peter in the day of Pentecost. Chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. And he quotes this psalm in fulfillment of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Holy One. God could not allow him to see corruption, so he raised him from the dead. 
And he declares that now he sits at his right hand where the blessings are forevermore. And so this psalm uh, is a messianic psalm. It speaks of Christ prophetically, years before he came. And so here the psalm is um, in application to him, God's faithfulness to him. He will raise him from the dead. He will not leave him there to see corruption. Any believer, it will be raised instantly. The minute you die, you're instantly present before the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 on down. And so we have this glorious hope. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of the eye. And if we don't die and the Lord comes back, then we'll be changed in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. In the rapture of the church. And so either way, we cannot lose. And so this psalm is applicable to us, but it's prophetic of Jesus Christ. Now, Psalm 17 is a prayer of David for protection. This title, Prayer, is found only in two other psalms, Psalm 86 and Psalm 142. In verse 1 through 5, we have the prayer to be uh, vindicated. Verses 6 through 9, his confidence in God. Verses 10 through 12, he describes his enemies. Verses 13 through 15, the ultimate triumph. He says, he says Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer that is not from deceitful lips. Now, we need to recognize that we as Christians can pray deceitfully. We can deceive ourselves. We can be having troubles in an area and then come to the Lord and say, Lord, I just thank you just for strengthening me and I'm doing so good. And we, we aren't open to it. And we need to be honest in our petitions, in our prayers, that we don't come with deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Now David was in his early ministry here. He couldn't say this in his later ministry. Because he failed drastically. Concerning the works of men. By the words of your lips I have kept myself from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. What are God's paths? His word. His word. I have called upon you, Lord, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye, the pupil. Very delicate. In other words, you know, anybody's protective of their eyes when they see something flying. And David is saying, God, protect me that way. I'm yours. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths they have spoken proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth like a lion that is eager to tear his prey as a young lion lurking in secret places. And so he cries out, Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from man, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their substance for their babes. As for me, 
I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awaken in your likeness. Amen. Memorize that verse. I will be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that even though it doesn't just appear where we shall be, when we see Him, we shall be exactly like He is. Pastor Xavier Reese and a prayer of triumph in the salvation that comes with a life dedicated to the Lord Jesus. Encouraging Simple Truths, closing out Psalm 17. Now you can request a copy of today's verse-by-verse study, Psalms chapters 11 through 17. It's available on CD for just $4. And by the way, this CD will also contain everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. The title you'll be asking for once again is Psalms chapters 11 through 17. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths from the Book of Psalms right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com